welcomes us with our illusions. And when a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. Okay, I'm going to stop on my uh we as you could probably guess and you could probably guess it already because of the episode description surprise surprise we are doing the muppet christmas carol the definitive holiday classic which i said in a review last year it's 100 percent true and uh here to talk about this sen- seminal holiday favorite we have a returning guest and a returning guest that um appeared in a very, very popular episode for 2021, but also somebody who is very popular in my family because she is a member of my family. We have uh, Barbara Bibble, known as, uh, well, known as Bibble, known as Bibbs. Barbara Malone is here with us. Bibbs, you want to tell us a little about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Barbara, but since Meanie's mom have the same name, I go by Bibbs. I'm currently studying ancient and medieval history in Scotland, and that is currently where I am right now. Looking forward to returning for the holidays to watch this movie again with my sister. So, uh, the last time that we did this, we kind of wanted to, uh, it was, uh, well, guess what? We're still in the pandemic, Um, but we were doing uh, Year Without a Santa Claus, and it was kind of, uh, we weren't... uh, Tara and I were not heading east for the holidays. Uh, we are heading east for the holidays now, but probably not. Well, Barbara doesn't even head home until like the 20th or something. A uh, little late in the holiday season to do a holiday podcast, although as uh, we learned, our Christmas slate remained very weirdly popular all year long. Muppet Christmas Carol is, uh, as I said, it's a definitive holiday classic. And it's something that I, I remember... In oh, it's probably 2010. I remember it was my sophomore year of college, especially. Maybe we had watched it beforehand, but I remember sitting down to watch it with you when you must have been. You were probably about nine or so. And of all the we've we've always been uh, fans of Christmas movies in our family, but I think really of all the the Christmas movies, this was one that was really a favorite of yours. Yeah, it definitely was, and I think I. I think I kind of forced the love of it onto you, but it worked. I've always had like a big fascination with the Muppets, and as it pertains to the Muppet Christmas Carol, this is uh, something I guess in in holiday tradition. Uh, you know, the fact that this this kind of uh, that people watch this uh, once a year and all of that, people can forget that the Muppet Christmas Carol premiered at a time really the probably the darkest hour. For the Muppet cast, they had just lost uh, their leader, uh, Jim Henson, who was the voice of Kermit, uh, among others. A very obviously kind of the uh, obviously kind of a, a, a big fucking deal uh, for the Muppets. So to lose him, his son Brian Henson, his eldest son, was uh, is the director of this film. They also lost uh, Richard Hunt, who was a, a member of the uh, troupe, and I was supposed to say member of the cast. I mean, they're in the. They, the, the Muppets are such like a close-knit family that it really wasn't... I mean, it really wouldn't have been outlandish if Jim Henson died and basically that was it and they never worked together again. So this is really kind of their moment of, of tragedy. And he died so unexpectedly too. It was... He had, you know, just... It was chest pain and he died very, very, very quickly. 
and out of that tragedy comes this story that I, I mean, it definitely kind of leans into the darkness that they all would have been feeling. It, it's 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 a dark movie. It's kind of a it's a it's an adult movie, but also a Muppet and kid friendly and all of that. Yeah, you can also like in the very beginning of the movie, it kind of the dedication to Jim Henson kind of just sets the entire tone for the whole movie. Well, yes, and you also see that in, um, you know, Kermit, who is, uh, you know, all these characters are going to live on long after uh, their original founders are dead, and they're going to live on probably long after, you know, in 2020, in not... 2060. Yeah, or or even like 2121, when we're getting into, like, uh, numbers, like a Rush album, 2112. Um. They're gonna go on forever, and when you have like Kermit in uh, one of the other one of the opening songs, when uh, talking about magic in the air, and there's only one more sleep till Christmas, it's kind of touching because it's really it's really Kermit's first moment post Jim Henson. Well, I guess they did tributes to Jim Henson after. Yeah, those are you. You want to cry? Just look Google Jim Henson funeral on YouTube. Pause. Pause the episode. <laughs> cry and come back and listen to us. <laughs> don't, 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 don't stop our episode of cry. If you ever, if you ever in need of a cry, that's uh, that's that's a good place. To, and actually, in in the funeral, because uh, Frank Oz, who is the uh, voice of Fozzie and uh, Sam the Eagle on a, a Jim Henson's closest friend, I mean, he was so upset during it that uh, Richard Hunt uh, took over a lot of singing of the musical numbers for uh, Jim Henson. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, Jim Henson at his funeral was I mean, it's such a great way to start this holiday episode. Um, he demanded that no, no one was allowed to wear black at his funeral, he had, and he just wanted songs, and they're singing, and it's really sad. But Richard Hunt is uh, taking lead on a lot of those vocals. He had a wonderful voice, and then he himself dies. So uh, that's, that's <laughs> really, really sad. Good luck. This is really, this is, I mean... If you're on that set, you're gonna be looking around, being like, "Which one of us is next?" And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. I mean, it's really, it's it's really sad. It's sad. I mean, and not only that. I mean, I guess the other bit of table setting um, that's kind of, I don't know. Let's get all the unpleasant stuff out of the way. The guy who wrote all of the lyrics to the songs, Paul Williams, had worked with the Muppets in on the 1977 Muppet movie. He was, um, when Brian Henson, or when the, the crew and Brian Henson called him to come back and do this, uh, he was really, really suffering from alcoholism that was destroying his life. And this was kind of like, <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> Such good luck. So yeah. cheery. Uh, yeah, it's, well, <laughs> he he was having a lot of problems, and uh, he channeled that. I mean, it, if you look at the lyrics to the opening of the Scrooge song, I mean, that really is written by a guy who's got his kind of back to the wall. It's his last chance on life. He's gonna. He's looking. He's looking at at the outlook of the Muppet Christmas Carol, basically as if he's Scrooge. I mean, you know, this is this is his chance to get out of it. And he broke through, and and created some lyrics. I mean, this movie has has some of the best songs. I mean, of any of these types of movies i mean the christmas genre itself is like such a throwaway to take something like this that's just such a just timeless classic i mean everything just kind of came together out of out of great tragedy came this beautiful thing yeah definitely and also it's like when tragedy arises you either can stick together or you fall apart and i think that just is a good theme to keep in mind throughout the film they they don't fall apart. They stick together and they create 
something despite the sadness that's like I would say probably at least top two if not top one of my favorite Muppet movies which one would your other one be Treasure Island I was I was thinking that yeah so with that in mind I mean this 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 movie kind of it was almost like a reset because you know it's the the Jim Henson era ended he didn't get to retire in 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 a way that you know if he was I mean he's uh, the, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the Muppet cast uh, have passed on now or retired, but I mean, he probably would have had 20, 30 more years at it, so he didn't really get to say goodbye. And I think without this movie, you know, sort of the wackier of uh, Muppet Treasure Island or uh, Muppets from Space, all of the other stuff that came in the 90s, I think if, I mean, you could have done it. They could have just sold to Disney and let Disney kind of commercialize the Muppets in a way that they did, but. This was kind of a way to say, okay, you know, we're this this thing is not going away. We're gonna we're gonna come together and we're gonna, you know, deliver something that um, I guess it, it it's it's I think the thing that really everybody loves about the Muppet Christmas Carol is Michael Caine's performance and how serious it he definitely. is, and about how I mean he 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 delivers a he he said in a lot of interviews that he set out to with the Muppet Christmas Carol to do. Uh, to basically do a performance that was uh, not something you would see on like the Muppet TV show or, or anything else, but something that w- could be more found with the Royal Shakespeare Company or something like that. It's also like when you think of the Muppets, you think of comedy, you think of like what these puppets interacting with um, humans. It's so hard to be to be as serious and like make it so the viewer can like fully take you seriously in these type of settings and dynamics and he does it perfectly and he does all of that alongside um you know they didn't they didn't want to totally pivot away from muppet zaniness and uh they take the character who was probably the i don't know of all the i mean fozzy may be the least serious of the main cast but aesthetically gonzo the uh alien with the crooked nose who's always has got a weird fetish for chicken um chickens uh to have him, somebody like him be uh, Charles Dickens, and then to have somebody who's kind of as irreverent as uh, Rizzo the Rat be his kind of uh, sidekick, Greek chorus, uh, there for the audience. They, they managed to kind of take two separate wavelengths, the seriousness of uh, Dickens' source material alongside... I mean, it's something the Muppets we're talking about for like 50 years have been able to kind of take... Uh, professionalism and blend it with the zaniness and I think that that was uh, really on display here I think it was perfect I mean you never really it never seems um, weird or it doesn't seem like a a horrible match like it just it all flows together perfectly and I mean Gonzo too I mean there's a lot of uh, antics with he and Rizzo particularly when uh, Scrooge is inside his house and they're trying to get up or they're trying to go across That's the my gate. Fa- that's one of my favorite parts because of the freaking jelly beans. <laughs> I love yeah. that part and then he has to jump down and then Gonzo and they left his jelly beans on the other side and then he finds out he could have just walked through the gate because he was small <laughs> enough. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a touching film. I mean, we, as our family, uh, the, when I lived on the East Coast and uh, when Bibble was a little younger, uh, we would do a lot. We would have a long, big, big, long Christmas slate. Muppet Christmas Carol was... It would, the, it would pretty much start right after Thanksgiving, our, yeah. our movie watching. 
Yeah, we would, um, and there's a lot of classics, uh, Winnie the Pooh and Christmas too, or I guess it's very Mary Pooh year, but they blend, that's kind of a bastardization, they take the old, uh, uh new, new Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and they try to add, like, 20 minutes of footage and sell it as a new thing, uh, Muppet, <laughs> Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol, I mean, this was released as a feature film, and, uh, well, I guess maybe it's a little early in the podcast to talk about it, but um, there's something, there's a bit of controversy that's, uh, you know, people, we talked a lot earlier in the year about, like, the Snyder Cut and Zack Snyder's Justice League and directorial autonomy and that kind of stuff. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol had a song that Disney was like, no, we're taking this out. It's too mature. Oh. It's too, the love is gone. And they said, not only is the love gone, but this song is gone. And they cut it out of, they cut it out of the theatrical cut. And people to this day are so pissed off about it, and they won't watch a cut that doesn't have. And I mean, honestly, it's kind of one of those things. I, sometimes people get like, uh, I don't know. The, so, it's like Lord of the Rings. If you, some people can only watch the extended edition, like us. And then there's people that are less have less um stamina it's kind of like if in empire strikes back if if somebody said well this is too adult this thing where vader's talking about luke is his father we're gonna cut this out it's kind of like well if you take that scene out of the equation and maybe maybe that's a little bit of a um over exaggeration for the love it's gone but i, I mean, think it is- makes a lot of sense it, it shows it shows that one part it shows um the chance scrooge had to be a different person and he had that chance. What was the um his love's name again? I forget. But uh, his love's name was Bell. In the yeah, he uh, had that chance with Bell, and he was almost about to take it. And then she, he couldn't fully get there. And then she gave up. And that's kind of the kind of the reason he's a bad dude. In the beginning of the film, it's that's pretty much why he's who he is. And taking that he- out takes a part. Taking that part out takes like a big part of like wh- why he's so serious and why it, the acting is so spot on. The song "The Love Is Gone" really allows the film to pivot the because Scrooge is is uh, you know the 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 film is uh, is and the story as well is kind of an introspection of Scrooge. So he kind of functions as both the protagonist and the antagonist because his own sort of past deeds are kind of the, the main villainy. The love I is think gone. she's the antagonist. You think Belle is the antagonist? Yeah, she, she should have... St- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> the song allows the film to pivot from a Scrooge being sort of inevitable uh, humbug-like figure to really this is the fault of capitalism for putting so much strain on young people you have a cer- you need to accumulate a certain amount i mean generally speaking those old days uh, the book middle march kind of covers a lot of this um if you were going to get married you need to have a certain amount of base income to uh f- uh fund the amount of things that you would need for a household like stuff like silverware or furniture would be very expensive and beyond uh, the means of somebody like scrooge at the time so he was basically punting his marriage until he could reach a place of status and what the love is gone is trying to say is like you know that that stuff didn't matter what mattered was that you were here and now you're not here and now the love is gone and you know he's he's been painted with indifference and unkind as any and the wrath of many this is ebenezer scrooge i mean 
the everything that followed was a, was a was was basically uh, a product of what that song did, which was basically like, okay, Scrooge, you missed the boat. Your life is now basically over, and the events of the film are there to say, hey, actually, you know, you're not quite irredeemable yet, but you're just on the precipice, and mostly whether you're, uh, you know, whether you can be redeemed hinges on whether you give, uh, whether you actually pay your employees a living wage. Living <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just, I could, I, I remember the edition, the extended edition with the cut is the first one we ever saw, and I could not imagine watching it a different way now because it just makes so much sense to me as someone who originally had seen it with the song so the cut that's on disney plus right now which i imagine unless unless you have the dvd release uh you're probably watching you know i think they're they said because they added it disney plus was no disney plus wasn't brand new last year but they added muppet christmas carol i mean some of these the film rights it's a theatrical release so that kind of stuff can get caught up in complex stuff that uh, an audience listening doesn't really care about but um they they didn't they weren't able to because i guess they did a 4k remaster of the film they didn't uh, i've heard conflicting stories brian henson said that they lost the master that had the love is gone disney said no wait we found it and it's included as like a special feature alongside the cut that is on disney plus at least of as of this recording doesn't have the song if it does then that's great but they felt, I mean, I, I think it's rare to get Disney to admit that they were really wrong about something. It's a studio that can be very set in its ways, and that's why a lot of the films from Disney kind of follow a same similar pattern. It's why uh, Marvel films are so homogenized. Disney, Disney, Disney likes things done their way, and Brian Henson was somebody who could say, you know, okay, let's, I mean... Part of the beauty of the Muppets and, and you know, a lot of the children's shows that we cover or uh, older stuff that we cover, we like things that don't talk down to their audiences. And I think Muppet Christmas Carol was something that even as a, a young child, uh, Bibble, you could uh, you could tell that this was something that was me meant to, you know, resonate. It didn't take its audience's intelligence for granted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could tell. You can just tell right away, no matter how old you are, like, that this is like, it's not like any of any other Christmas movie because it's just right away it goes so serious, especially with the first song. It's like, God, this is really serious, and this is, but it's also still Christmas. So, in a way, you kind of feel you can understand what they're saying while still enjoying the fact that it's a Christmas film. Yeah, and what I also really love, I mean, a kind of a pillar of all Muppet movies and Muppet specials is uh, no matter what, they really kind of work in overtime to get all of the core Muppet cast involved. And some movies that works better than others, like Muppet uh, Treasure Island, when they have Swedish Chef at the end, uh, and he's preparing uh, some of the Muppets are supposed to be sacrificed, and somebody looks at the screen and says, well, how else do you think we were going to get him into the movie? I mean, some of that <laughs> stuff can be kind of awkward, and yet, as it, uh, for Statler and Waldorf, uh, they they took uh, they took the character of Jacob Marley from uh, the Dickens source material, and they made him into uh, two separate characters, Marley and Marley. And they took characters who are uh, Statler and Waldorf exist to be the peanut gallery to dump on whatever it is the Muppets are doing. This might be, in all honesty, of of across all Muppet content, their their most substantive role for them to say. 
you know, doom, Scrooge, you're doomed for all time. Your future is a horror story. Your chains are forged. Um, I'm screwing up the melody. Um, they're, they're they're there to really. I mean, you almost kind of look at them, and it's 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 kind of like the ghosts. It, it's kind of like the Statler and Waldorf that are up in the peanut gallery died, and you know the afterlife. They looked and said, you know, you guys didn't do anything except put be mean to those Muppets all those years. You know, you're doomed. They're here to warn warn Scrooge. It's 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 a lot of fun. Well, it's also really good because, you know, it, they pick they assign characters to the Muppets that make sense with their overall persona and their character like it makes a lot of sense for kermit to be bob cratchit because he's this loving family guy and then it makes sense for um them to be marley and marley because they're always the hecklers what else are they going to be in this film it would make no sense to put anyone else as those characters and i think they're really good at figuring out what character works best for which muppet right and I think it was also a smart decision for the film too. So the ghosts of Christmas, uh, past, present, and future, are not played by uh, regular Muppet performers. They're well. The second two are puppet. I mean, the first one, the ghosts of Christmas past, the spirit is is a pretty is pretty pretty creepy to be honest. Um, when you were little, were you scared of that spirit? No, but I was just like. I would never, if you ever showed up in my house, I would, like, treat you like a fly and swat you. I have a feeling, like, if that thing showed up and it was Christmas Eve, I mean, there was that one Christmas a couple years ago with the government shut down and Trump didn't get to go to Mar-a-Lago and uh, somebody had a tweet that said, you know, all alone in the White House, Trump's gonna get a rude awaken- a rude visit from three ghosts tonight. Um, if that thing showed up in my door, like, the... The Ghost of Christmas Present is this jolly sort of big Muppet, uh, like a lot of the Muppet performers that are wearing costumes, not just using puppetry. The spirit showed up. I would say, like, you know, get the hell out of here. I'm not talking to you. I'm not leaving the house in my pajamas. Like, piss off. Um, and the <laughs> it's funny that they. I mean, I, I guess it was it was really the the right call to not use Muppet performers because it's especially with the or Muppet characters because especially with the ghost I mean the spirit of the ghost of Christmas is yet to come I mean that guy is scary he looks like a dementor and he doesn't say anything no he's like he's even worse I don't know I think JK Rowling's probably worse that she does uh, make make all those tweets but she's like uh, the ghost of Christmas yet to come is like a dementor that doesn't talk that doesn't spend all day tweeting about transphobia um Yeah, this uh, we're kind of going all over the place here. Um, yeah, I mean the ghost. Uh, it, it, it's funny how they uh, managed to kind of because at that point too, there's definitely. I mean, Gonzo and Rizzo are operating on a different wavelength as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge through most of the film. But there's kind of a pivot where they're like not necessarily driving the action with the audience, and but they're more of observing with them. So it's kind of like you've got this wall, and it probably would have been awkward if, let's say, I don't know, Fozzie or Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah, like if Miss Piggy had been the ghost of Christmas past and you have you have Gonzo and Rizzo like sort of breaking the fourth wall right next to them, it would have been weird. It's also like just no Muppet character could really take on the like allure and mysteriousness of the three because they're, they're, they're family favorite characters. We all know them. We all understand them. It wouldn't be as serious or as um, mysterious if 
it were a character that's playing them. Yeah, and I mean, you could have probably put Miss Piggy as the ghost of Christmas present. I mean, it gets more complicated after that, because this movie is basically a three-pronged horse of, you've got Kermit's Bob Cratchit, uh, Gonzo's Charles Dickens, and then Michael Caine's Ebenezer Scrooge, and they're they're kind of the three points that most of the film is preoccupied by. The tall-looking uh, guy who looks kind of like a... I'm forgetting his name, and I'm not sure anybody listening would be able to... There's that big, tall uh, Muppet character who's kind of grumpy, and is, I think he's a villain in the Muppet movie. Um, I don't know. You got me yeah. lost. He looks kind of like Snuffleupagus meets Big Bird, is played by a human actor, not a puppet. I, he's a weird guy. I'm, yeah, that's... Um, I, point being, there, there probably wasn't a ton of depth on those, uh, but um, it's definitely... I mean, we, when it comes to... Kermit's role too. I mean, it's like just it's weird. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you probably saw the Muppet Haunted Mansion thing that just came out on Disney Plus, but it was weird that they uh, gave that special to Gonzo and Pepe the Prawn to to carry it, and Kermit's like barely in it. I think in this kind of instance, Kermit gets just enough time. Like he's not the lead; he's less important than Scrooge and Dickens, and yet he's still like a very pivotal role. And he kind of embodies. I mean, Kermit and Bob Cratchit operate on the same wavelength as sort of kind of an everyman type character that's easy to get behind. And he has that great song. After There's all, only one more sleep to Christmas. Yeah, how often do we sing that when we're home? Oh, we do it. We we have many different interpretations of it. Uh, it's um, and then of course also you've got uh, one of Barbara's favorite uh, Muppet uh, tertiary Muppet characters would be Kermit's nephew Robin, who this is his meatiest role. He gets to play Tiny Tim, and it's it's just so heartbreakingly sad to have like a character like that play. I mean, Tiny Tim is always kind of a sad character, but there's something that hits extra hard that it's Robin. When he, when he says in his, like, um, little breaking voice, God bless us, everyone, I'm like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, and I mean, because also, like, in The Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, when they're talking, uh, you know, when they show the potential timeline that has the death of uh, Tiny Tim, it hits, it's, it's harder, you know exactly, because... I mean, within this particular adaptation, you know, this is like an 85, 90-minute film. Very, I mean, it moves quickly. It's a, it's a very quick film. Um, you don't get, like, Tiny Tim is probably, besides Ebenezer Scrooge, the most sort of memorable character in all of it. He doesn't have a lot of screen time here. No, yeah. He's, he only appears for the first time in Ghost of Christmas Present. That's kind of Ghost Christmas Present is kind of like the start of like Kermit, Miss Piggy, um, Robin, all of them coming into the fold. And then, but it's still really much about Scrooge. So they're not, even though that's like when they, when they become more important, they're still not the focal point. Okay, the Muppet that I was thinking of, I was going to go back and edit who I was talking about into the podcast later, but his name is Sweetums. It took me about two seconds to <laughs> Google it. Anybody listening can look. He, That guy could have been the ghost of Christmas Present. I mean, he's... But the ghost of Christmas Present is also very, very welcoming. Um, yeah, I mean, Tiny Tim... I, he, has I forget, he, he has amnesia. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that... 
I don't know. I, I can't get it out of my head sometimes, especially when we're watching it. So Kermit Kermit has uh, kids with Miss Piggy, and the male ones look like Kermit, little baby Kermits, and the female ones look like baby Miss Piggies. I mean, let's... Did you uh, want you, them to look like a hybrid? I, I'm not... I'm not saying that I do, but I'm saying that it's 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 something that should be said that it's weird. It's it's maybe maybe one of them. The problem is the problem is if you did it just one, then that character would probably be sadder than Tiny Tim. I don't know. I mean, amphibian. You have. I don't know. Yeah, how does Miss Piggy create tadpoles? Uh, I don't, I, yeah, that's, and I mean, there's also the thing, they have their meager feast that, uh, you know, Scrooge remarks, oh, this is such a meager feast, and they, the Ghost of Christmas Present says, but very much appreciated. I don't know, I think that line's unnecessary. I think the feast sucked, and that uh, Scrooge <laughs> I, I think I think any I think any efforts to talk about to to try and upsell the shitty feast uh, is is not you know I I kind of want to yell scab at the TV at the Ghost of Christmas Present I don't think that was uh, very good of him Let's talk about um there's a character we kind of skipped over who's kind of an interesting figure in all of this and that's the role of Fred who is Ebenezer Scrooge's nephew is played by Steve McIntosh who. God, I saw on an episode of, I think it was Midsummer Murders. It might have been Inspector Morse. And it was weird because the guy's guy a mostly a British actor, does like a lot of the British TV shows, a lot of the British procedurals. Uh, this, this, this movie did not, uh, it was Inspector Morse. Um, it, this movie did not launch his career, but we were watching that. And I was like, holy shit, that's Fred from Ebony, uh, from Muppet Christmas Carol. He's kind of a weird character. He's abnormally happy. Like his, I think his first scene is when he's visiting um, Scrooge at work, and he's just like screaming at him for. Um, be, they're like in a fight about what's better, being po- poor, happy, or rich and sad. It's kind of yeah. like, okay, this is this makes no sense, and he's kind of a that, dick. That's also kind of a scabbish uh, mindset to take, the idea that you can't be both rich and happy, the idea that the poor people are supposed to be happy for their lot in life because they have each other when the rich person is actually secretly miserable. I think that is an anti-worker, pro-capitalistic position that I think, you know, maybe maybe this movie take, is guilty of indoctrination a little bit. Take it up with Dickens. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe we should... Fr- the thing that makes me kind of weird about that gets me weirded out about Fred as a character is the scene. Uh, I guess it's the Ghost of Christmas Present. They go to the house, and Scrooge spies in on them playing. Well, first of all, Scrooge, Michael, one of Scrooge's best lines is he's like, "Do people play games on Christmas?" Like, he, it's like the dude has never seen a Christmas before and has no idea what it what it is. I but think I that's the whole point. His eyes are being awoken to all he's been missing. And yet, I mean, the the funny thing is, like, Scrooge is kind of painted as being unreasonable. He doesn't put up much of a fight when Bob Cratchit is like, you know, it's because he says initially he basically gives him a half an hour. He gives uh, Bob Cratchit and the rats uh, an extra half hour in honor of Christmas. And Bob Cratchit has to say to him, like, 
you know, if if you're open, you won't have anyone to do business with. And he, he says, you know, Christmas is a poor excuse to rob a man's uh, pocket or something like that. And but it's it's not like he fights it that hard. It's not like it's not like he put up much of a fight to give them the day off. And yet we go to this scene where it's uh, Fred and he's he's playing uh, guessing games and he's making fun of his uncle. It's a little odd. Yeah, it's also just also I would always get weirded out by this scene because of how creepy his Muppet friends were. Where they were like slimy creatures, weren't they? Yeah, what are they like? What what is what's 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 Fred's deal? And how I mean, Fred has a nice place too. It's kind of odd that he's you know portrayed as this like you know uh, uh, you know champion of the proletariat when actually I mean he seems like he's doing okay. And yet he's he has, got a, he has happy wife, happy life. Is he part of the mafia? Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised with how creepy those Muppets were. They were. I mean, maybe they were just running out of people. Like one of the other really great lines uh, in that particular sequence with the Ghost of Christmas Present, they're talking about uh, Fozzie Wiggs' Rubber Chicken Factory. We're supposed to believe that Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, Michael Caine doesn't deliver a lot of really Muppetly Muppety type lines throughout the film, but he's like talking about Fozzie Wiggs' Rubber Chicken Factory, and Fozzie Wig is, you know, Fozzie is not a main uh, character in in this particular film, and yet at the same time. He plays a very small yet vital role of of trying to instill upon the young Ebenezer that hey, there are things more important than money. It doesn't matter if this uh, party of ours uh, costs too much. We're gonna we're gonna have something that's uh, you know that people can enjoy. Yeah, and it's and he tried to he he was a good wingman with Belle. That's like a very good scene because that's where like a bunch of like the main Muppets get there. Like there's Animal and the band and it just all makes so much sense. Statler and Waldorf get to do their customary role. They're up there uh, on the upstairs area and they get to uh, do their customary ribbing of the Muppets and Swedish Chef is there. Yeah, it's a very, very touching sequence and um it also allows the Muppets a chance to shine, like, to do their thing throughout most of the film. Uh, that's something that really Gonzo and Rizzo were kind of left on their own to do because Kermit is, is basically just being a Bob Cratchit. Although I guess Miss Piggy is really doing Miss Piggy. She she's, doesn't get much of a role, but that's very in line with what she does as a character, being, you know, the a little bit of a self-righteous, but also fairly accurate reflection on the uh, uh, dynamic between uh i mean it would have been great if miss piggy had just socked scrooge he deserved it what a dick <laughs> what is what does it say about society that this man had to be visited by three ghosts to do the right thing well honestly it it i it i'm always like because we were talking about this he is easily his mind easily changes. Like in, by Christmas present, he's like kind of into it. I think it just yeah. says we're subset. We're we're like we can be easily changed. I mean, may yeah. I mean, you bring up a really good point because I mean, before he's visited by the ghosts, he's uh, he's in his house. It's an empty house. It looks lonely. He's got his bread and cheese, like the the little. Uh, was it the rat? Oh, God. Like the most gut-wrenching in the Scrooge song when the rabbit's like, please, I want some cheese. And then... He gives them the cheese eventually. 
Yeah, and then he's shivering outside um, <laughs> in the cold. I don't know. That's, that's a gut wrench. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Disney was onto something being like, you know, this is a real tearjerker for children. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of the... the Kids can maybe. handle it. They can handle a little bit of sadness. I think it's more has to do with, like, being worried that kids are just going to get too bored. Like, kids can handle sadness as long as they're entertained, which this movie provides. Well, I was, I think I was three. My very first movie was The Lion King. And uh, there is a sequence in that, which is, I mean, Finding Nemo starts off like, hey, kids, here's this nice sucker punch. And the Disney MO, hey, we're going to advance the narrative. We're going to increase dramatic, dramatic tension. But guess what? Pick a family, pick a pick a parent. They're gonna die. That's what. Yeah, they there's. Do. I think there's like only three of the Disney princesses have uh, both parents. Yeah, and it's never like something more like mundane, like uh, divorce, because one of the parents was unfaithful. Now they gotta be killed. Um, it kind of says a lot. So Scrooge, Scrooge is lonely, and I mean he he is a bit more rigid in the beginning. Uh, Maybe it's just because he doesn't like his nephew. I mean, he uh, Bob Cratchit is somebody who knows how to talk to Scrooge. It seems like Fred really doesn't. Maybe Fred is the real villain of this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, and then but there is. I think we're forgetting a very important part of the first one when he refuses to donate, which is a pretty yes. bad move on his part. It is, and Mr. Beaker is really. I think. Uh, if I had to pick a top Muppets, I don't know. I'd probably go Miss Piggy, Sam the Eagle, and Beaker. Uh, Sam the Eagle is... Sam the Eagle was, was like a parody of Fox News a solid 30 years before there was a Fox News. Um, you have all the patriotism. And actually, they intertwine that into the film because he's talking about like the American and then Gonzo has to break character and whisper in his ear like, Sam, it's British. The British way. <laughs> Well, we see Scrooge from a young age is 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 an overachiever, and I mean that's not the worst thing in the world. Overachiever a... doesn't equal being an asshole. No, and because you've got to have a heart, and like I I think about, I mean, is this a nature or a nurture type thing with Scrooge? I mean, could it, it, you could say it might honestly be nurture because of how easily he's swayed into doing the right thing? Yeah, exactly. But it was it was a big move that he pulls when he said in the beginning, like, oh, someone people should just die then be if they're homeless and it would like decrease the surplus population. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunately a uh, you know something that uh, is indicative. Um, you know, I see on social media, you know, if if there's a news story about somebody uh, a trans person who was murdered. You see the comments of people like, well, maybe they shouldn't have come out. Like, they blame the victim and all of that. And we see Scrooge uh, basically thinking that his uh, his tax dollars, that he is the good guy because his tax dollars pay for these uh, poor houses, which, I mean, back then that basically was like a death sentence because those places were full of, um, they. it was typically like one big room full of people. And if somebody got sick, everybody got sick and everybody died. And there wasn't really a lot of justice. And that's kind of the England that Dickens uh, was was operating in. It wasn't like a, you know, a, the Jane Austen open air of the country houses. No, cities cities were uh, pretty dangerous places to be. If if an illness went around, everybody tended to get it. 
So yeah, disgusting drip. back then. Pretty yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure Edinburgh. They, they they still have the the like um canal or like the little tunnels on the bottom of the streets for where the shit was supposed to go, like back in the old days. Because yeah. like that's how gross cities are. So I mean, Scrooge Scrooge was a was a bad guy. I mean, it's. I think I guess what kind of makes him such a compelling protagonist is is the idea that, you know, you can understand where he's coming from as a character. And yet, I mean, he's not totally rigid in his ways. He's very amicable to the idea that, hey, if you're going to give me a chance to not get damned to hell, I will take it. Yeah, he's really like, okay, I'm ready. And he's always so, even to the um, ghost of... Christmas yet to come. He's so polite to every single one of them. So I guess with all of that in mind, and something that you had said earlier uh, has stuck with me, the idea that that basically by the ghost of Christmas present. I mean, he is he is game to uh, he is game to change. I mean, this film and it's 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 not it's a excellent adaptation of Dickens' work. It's probably the best uh, cinematic adaptation. Uh, it's the only one I like. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but but I guess my question that I would like to pose and talk about is, you know, it, within this particular adaptation, was it even necessary to have a ghost of Christmas future of Christmas yet to come? Because I mean, it's kind of like he's, it's kind of like he had actually, I don't know, it, it's not like it's overkill, but it it kind of feels like it is. I feel like it was. He was the. I feel like if anything, um, ghost of Christmas future, like at first he was like willing. To it's kind of like I don't know quitting an addiction. First, you're willing to, but then you have to see what's at stake before you like fully commit to it. Right, and there's also like there's the pivot uh, because it's it, it. There's a point in it's it's not throughout throughout his uh, three visits uh, when Tiny Tim is introduced. It, it kind of becomes okay, Scrooge. You know. This isn't just about your damnation. This is about whether you can use your money to uh, help help this kid as well. Like you're you're not really the only one at stake, and that's kind of the meaning of Christmas. You know, you you learn to share the love. You don't you don't just hoard it and uh, keep it all for yourself. Yeah, but like yeah, on that note, I feel like if Ghost Christmas Yet to Come never came, he wouldn't have seen those stakes, and he wouldn't have. I think. Like, at first, he was excited. Like, Ghost of Christmas Past reminded him of what he missed. Ghost of Christmas Present gave him, like, a chance to, like, get excited about the idea. But excitement is not, can't always last forever. And it wasn't until there was a concrete um, view of what his life could be like that it, like, really scared him right into just doing the right thing. Which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because he was already, as we can tell from present, um, he was looking, he was into it. So it's not really the worst thing in the world that he was a little scared into the idea. Yeah, and that that graveyard. I mean, that's another thing that we haven't really talked about in in the podcast is how beautiful those sets were. And uh, they were also very challenging. Like when you're talking about filming uh, the the something like the Muppets where you have uh, human actors appearing alongside Muppets. Uh, 
Michael Caine had to walk often. He would walk on floorboards because you need to have the performers underneath him to able to like interact with him. And I mean, this is the early nineties. So it's, it's not like they're a ton of, ton of CGI or anything. This is a really practical, the practical sets are absolutely beautiful. I mean, just the craftsmanship. I mean, that's, maybe more than any that plus the songs more than any other reason why this is a film that really doesn't get old i don't know how many times we've seen it uh but but there's just always you you pick up something new every time you you come to it and i think this cgi or i mean that's just not true of every film it's get put in kind of an elite category with when when you know you have something that's that beautiful oh yeah it is just it is very mind-blowing how pretty and it's like you can just how much it looks like the streets of london like you just really you really feel like it's like an actual society they're all currently in so when you um because you're in scotland you do a lot of traveling if you are walking down the streets of a city at night, do you sometimes feel like when a cold wind blows it chills you chills oh it's so i feel like that in the morning it is very cold in Scotland right now. Yeah, it's... I guess it also, like... One thing... So this movie was originally supposed to be a TV special. Muppets, they do countless TV specials. Uh, this show, we're going to cover uh, one of the other Christmas specials that... Uh, Bibble and I like uh, um, Muppets. I don't uh, like as much as this one. It's no, a, it's a missable one in my mind. <laughs> Well, guess, guess what? Tara's, Tara's coming on to do that instead. <laughs> Tara, Tara likes it oh. better. <laughs> okay, she's not coming anymore for Christmas. That's that's just that's just not. It's like there's opinions, and then there are opinions that are just clearly incorrect. Oh, no, like, no, 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 no. She likes it better than. Although, actually, it's funny, Tara. Tara thought that Barbie Christmas Carol was better than Muppet Christmas Carol. That, that's a worse opinion, I think. I mean, I love Barbie Christmas Carol. I forgot about that's the, Barbie Christmas Carol. I could do, I could do a whole podcast on that one. It's the first Barbie movie. I did not know that. I unfortunately, uh, one of the ramifications of being in a long term relationship, you have to sometimes adopt other people's traditions that you don't like. I'll watch have, it with her. No, she she. Her number one is uh, Barbie Nutcracker, which is just like... Oh, I forgot about Barbie Christmas Carol. Barbie Nutcracker is the first one. Yeah, Barbie Christmas Carol is not good. No, Barbie Nutcracker. I messed up. It's just nails on a chalkboard. But, um, I mean, that's, you you know, not every... We talk about, um, and on this show, we just had uh, Christmas... We had uh, Archie K.O. from... uh, uh, Christmas at the Ranch, Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Actually, I mean, it's funny. We're doing – Barbara, this is her second appearance on the podcast. Uh, she was actually mentioned in the last episode with uh, Archie. Uh, I got to tell him how much uh, you love the Blue Ranger, Kai, in Lost Galaxy. You actually probably liked that one before I did. Um, but uh, the point, point being, broader point, not to get too off topic, is – you know, we get hundreds of Christmas movies each year, and a lot of them, you go in one ear, out the other. You fall asleep on the TV watching, even if it's like four in the afternoon. This one is uh, more than 30 years old, and it holds up. It's, and that's a rare category. There aren't that many that you can say that about. Yeah, definitely. 
it's just that's how I feel about Mother's Muppet's Letter to Santa. I feel like it goes in one ear out the other. Well, uh... well, this is turning into a ro- roast on Tara's opinions. Well, we are gonna do an episode all for that. Uh, in in uh, that'll probably be the next episode we uh, air a uh, little preview. But um, get, to get back to Muppet Christmas Carol, I mean. Is there is there a particular Muppet you can think of that was underutilized in this, or is just everything absolutely perfect? Uh, I'm trying to... I feel like every... I mean, there are obviously characters that are underused, but I feel like everyone's character fit, like, filled in nicely. Like, you know, the Swedish chef and Animal, they're in it for, like, maybe ten minutes, but they're in a... They're in, um, Fozzie Bear's Christmas party, like it makes sense for Fozzie Bear to have music playing, so it makes sense for animals to be there. It's not like no one's, no one, I don't think anyone's out of place. No, I think they do a really good job with k- picking who is where. What do you think? Yeah, well, especially with that, um, I, you know, I've heard rumors, especially when they made the Muppet, uh, the Muppets that that uh, the mockumentary style TV show that aired a couple of years ago. Um, Rolf was a particular favorite of Jim Henson, and I know that there had been at least at some point talk that maybe that character would get retired just out of. I don't think a lot of the Muppet performers wanted to. I mean, you can't not have uh, Kermit in a Muppet thing, but. I think that there was maybe the mindset that Rolf may have been a little bit more uh, expendable and, and to, to kind of circle back to what we started off the show uh, in the darkest way possible. But, um, you know, this, this, this is kind of a, a changing of the guard. So I guess for big Muppet diehards, I mean, the, the Muppets are, are such an institution. A lot of people who grew up with the Muppet show in the 70s would still be engaging in a way that, you know, things that are more geared towards kids. You can't say that for everything. So to, to see those kind of characters pop up and everybody get their moment, it's, 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 it's reassuring. And that, that, that kind of mentality fits in so well with the Christmas spirit because Christmas is a time, I mean, let's face it, Last year, and actually this year too, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, the world is an utter shit show. We have a new virus coming to town. Yeah, we have that was Omicron. A good one. Wasn't that a good joke? Come on. Like Santa Claus coming to town, new virus come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, last year, I think, I, I often wonder if some of the popularity of the Year Without a Santa Claus episode was due to the people wondering if, if we were just referring to that as the year without a Santa Claus, because nobody was traveling for Christmas. Oh my God. If that, if no, I think, I think it's popular. I, I, I stand with my theory. That's due to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's due to me. Well, I mean, I, I assume that most people listening to this will have uh, listened to that, that episode. I mean, that's another timeless, timeless classic, but this kind of fits into that same bill. And, for them, I mean, you're always reminded, especially when you watch the theatrical release in the beginning with the dedication, like, okay, this is born out of something, you know, this is the music, all of that. It must have been very sad to be on that set in a lot of days, knowing that it was going to be different. I mean, the Muppets were uh, such a close-knit group. They And you have to, when you're doing something like puppetry, you have to be in a, it's kind of an improv-heavy thing. You're physically on top of each other constantly. If you've seen how Muppet performers work, they're basically all in each other's face 24-7. <laughs> you've got to like have your arms basically 
intertwining. It, it, it's, it's a very, very personal line of work. So for them to kind of, they, they captured, I mean, maybe they channeled the spirit of Christmas, but they also captured it too in, in such a beautiful way. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it's like, I think we, I just I just had another point. Can we go off topic for a second? <laughs> like off this topic? Uh, sure. Uh, um, well, it goes on the beautifulness, the beautifulness of the last song. Well, the love, we, yeah, the love we share, which doesn't really, which work is why in- that it, yeah, it doesn't work without the song. Yeah, because you have like the refrain and the love we share. Because it, it, Christmas is a time for sharing. Um, it's it's a time that you you know you're you're it's it's not it's not a it's not me me me. You make your list, but then you get things for other people, and it's a time for people to come together. I mean, you, you know, and then it's something. I turned 30 recently and getting older, you know, you think about, you know, you don't get to see family all that often and Christmas is a chance to like hit pause. I mean, how often in this world with the 24 hour news cycle and so much happening constantly, how often do you just get to press the pause button and and just embrace in the, in, in not just the ghost of Christmas present, but the reality of Christmas present. Yeah, that's a very yeah, it's, that's a great point. It's it's hard to just that's why I love our tradition so much, which we still I love our tradition because it's just like you get so trapped in the moment and you're just like enjoying like something about how beautiful the movie is, like it just while you're watching it, like you can't really take your eyes off the screen because of how like beautiful and real and serious and funny it everything is at the same time. Is there anything about the movie that you think didn't work or that you would change? Hmm. Do you have an answer while I think? Um, something that's always bothered me, I, I'm not sure that I would change it, but it kind of gets glossed over at the end about how, like, for Ebenezer Scrooge to show up at, at Bob Cratchit's house and invite... Oh, all I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> all those random... Stra- I mean, because... We we get we get an extended sequence, and then the other thing is, um, first off, he uh, when he when he has his awakening and he goes outside and he's a changed man. He says to the rabbit, and he's like a, a bright young man, a smart man, and he 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 has that guy go and get the the turkey from the shop. Which, I mean, first of all, why is the prize turkey? Why hasn't it been sold by Christmas Day? That makes me think because everyone's poor. I mean. That's that's that could be true. Maybe the turkey itself is rancid. I don't know. Maybe the shop doesn't. Maybe the shop has a like D on its health inspector report. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of odd. He has the tiny rabbit. He ha- he he asks the guy who's probably least capable of carrying the turkey, and then he invites so many people that his feast becomes basically the equivalent of what Bob Cratchit was eating beforehand. He invited <laughs> so many guests into his house. I think. I think it's I it it's not like it puts a damper because you want the final scene to have like a you know montage or a, if this was a if this was a, a play if they were doing a performance of it that's kind of the point where you bring all the cast and all the background players would come and you know you sing the final song and then everybody leaves so yeah it makes sense and yet at the same time like if I were Bob Cratchit and he brought all those people over and. Tiny Tim just got. I mean, he he was prone to overexcitement. I think it's probably a little sensory overload. I don't think I would like that. 
Yeah, yeah, I, my anxiety, my social anxiety would skyrocket in that event. So do you have a do you have another need, needless nitpick to, to now that I've now that I've thrown one into the ether? I'm trying to think. Um, hmm. Hmm. Oh, it's anno on that note. It's annoying he didn't invite the rat his rat coworker. He gave them coal for Christmas. Yeah, they. Uh... He was like, "Here's here's here's a basic necessity of heat." And I'm gonna gift it to you. One thing I we lost. I I mentioned that uh, Stadler and Waldorf were uh, uh, doing the peanut gallery thing at, at Fozzie Fozzie Wig's Christmas party. When he gave his speech, and it was short, and they were all happy that they loved it. Of how brief his Christmas speech was, that was uh, under underrated. See, and I always love when they do that because I mean <laughs> they're so crabby crabby normally to see them be like ah. It was short. I loved it. They're all happy. That's fun. What's your um, What's your favorite song from all of it? I really well. I know what yours is, so I'm gonna give a different um, answer. I really like um, the middle, the Ghost of Christmas Present song. Yeah, that's a good. Choice. As when you see like the whole town, like getting all that's what like goes on. What you're saying about like the set being beautiful, like it, everyone's. There's walking about there. everyone's happy i also like when like the prison guard and the and the prisoner are like dancing together i think it's really <laughs> funny yeah that's a good uh that's a good choice um mine obviously it doesn't really truly feel like christmas until they queue up i mean you talk about an introduction the scrooge the opening for scrooge is just perfect on every level that it's it's such an effective introduction it, it sets the tone that this is, I mean, you know, these are, these are Muppets. Muppets are supposed to be happy. You're supposed to, you know, enjoy the Muppets and love uh, having, uh, spending time with them. And th that song, that opening song is just such a reminder of like, hey, I know that these guys are cute. They're funny. This movie's still going to be funny. But hey, this guy is the worst. And let's convey it. Even the, like, even the vegetables don't like him. Like this is, <laughs> this, is, this is as bad as it gets. And I mean, like that's something that this film knew how to do at certain points, like when the ghost of Christmas yet to come, Gonzo's like, This is too scary, I'm out of here, we'll see you at the finale. They knew exactly when to like flip the switch and say, Okay, we'll be zany, but at the same time, okay, this is the serious part. We'll uh they had a firm. There's a, it's it's always a powerful film, and you see this a lot. And oh, I see this a lot as a film critic. Uh, you can tell which directors understand their audience and how to kind of push the levers. Because audiences sit down with a movie, you kind of know what you're going to expect. Three act structure. Uh, you know, you're there to be entertained by by the the construction and the orchestration as much as you know whether you're going to be wowed by something or shock value. So for them to kind of put all that together was really powerful. Definitely. Um, yeah, that I always I forgot about that part where they leave and then they show up at the end. And it's like, oh, thank God you're back. Well, yeah, I mean, that just all goes to, to how effective this movie was as operating as both an adaptation of Dickens and as a thoroughly Muppet production. And every I've seen I've seen pretty much everything the Muppets have ever put out. There's a Muppet for there's a distinct Muppet formula and there's a distinct Muppet formula that people expect and that they want to see. 
and this movie was able to to push the envelope and do something new while at the same time staying true to everything that its audience know and love. Yeah, I could agree. I I agree with that. It's just um, it's just so great, and I cannot wait to watch it this year. I'm I'm now getting very hyped. Maybe I should come home sooner. (laughs) Well, it's uh, December twenty fourth. I mean, like, yeah, it's. You know, you get the annoying people who say that Jesus is the reason for the season. I think Muppet Christmas Carol is actually the uh, reason for the season. Uh, yeah, and and for, the, for for those of us who are not super faith oriented, who uh, get, you know, being trans is really a great way to get out of having to go to Christmas mass. You can just say, "I'm too gay." Then no wafer for me. Uh, too gluten free. No wafer for me. That's true. You I love know. how that's the thing that like connects us. Yeah, it's true. We're both you, the the Pope Francis put out a doc, progressive Pope Francis said that there has to be gluten in the Jesus wafer, which you should have seen the look on my grandfather's face, who's a deacon, a uh, very uh, reverent man of God. And I said to him, I'm like, you know, if if the bread gets turned into Jesus's body, then how could how can why can't my sister who has celiac eat it then? Like, why why isn't the gluten gone? And he just looks at me like fuck off um <laughs> it's true us it's united true. in pope francis's discontent with our existence yep yep that's uh that's that's unfortunately how it goes but i mean on that note this is an lgbtq show uh a lot of our listeners also have similarly complicated you know feelings with this kind of stuff and but but you can have the magic you can have it used to be kind of an insult in the old days, but you can have a nice secular Christmas that doesn't have Jesus and is still very fun and great and just as, you know, good, if not better. And uh, stuff like this. I mean, tradition, tradition, we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. Um, you know, LGBTQ people can be sometimes uh, disconnected from their family traditions because uh, some of us are not welcome home. Isn't that great? Um it's important that we have these things like this movie that uh, bring us together and, and, you know, that we can enjoy as, as, as our own uh, traditions that don't have uh, a man in the Vatican pointing the finger saying, Rawr. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you have anything else on uh, Muppet before we wrap up? No, I think we, I think we did a good job covering all the important stuff. I think. I'll say- like I, I took some notes before this because I just, you know, wanted to. I wanted to make sure I hit everything that I wanted to say. Um, this was. I said to. I said to Barbara a couple of days ago. I'm like, we're gonna do Muppet Christmas Carol on this day. Uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, take it. We'll go from there. And I think, uh, you know, it was great that we were able to do an episode. Uh, we know this. This movie is so just timeless and all of that. It's very easy to easy to just talk and riff on. Uh, all that muppety goodness. And when Muppety it goodness. It chills you. Chills you. Chills you where? Chills to you the to bone. bone. To the bone. Anyway, um, on Estradi Illusions, we have our we have our Christmas coverage from this year. We have a couple new episodes. Everybody can check out if you haven't seen our old episodes from last Christmas. Like we had five. A lot of good stuff. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to kind of take a pause on uh, all the chaos in the world and uh, embrace, embrace, because it's just such a fun time of the year. And especially for me, because it's in Southern California, everybody's complaining about how cold it is. And 
I can go outside in shorts, so that's always uh, very beautiful, and uh, it's 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 great to really uh, stuff like this helps to get in the Christmas spirit. So, uh, Bibble, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back on, and if the if the um, views skyrocket, we know why. Yes, and we we've been meaning to do we're gonna do an episode on the Knight's Tale eventually. That's gonna happen. It needs to happen. Yeah. it's a great it's a great movie. Um, but uh, we'd love to have you back for something that isn't necessarily Christmas theme. But you know what? It's a great tradition. I hope I hope every Christmas we get to do an episode on something that we uh, grew up with because it's fun to be able to take. Something we got a bunch. We do have a bunch, and it's fun to be able to take something from our family and share it to you, the audience family, our broader extended Astrid Illusions family. You know, wherever you're celebrating, uh, you know, no, no matter how, how things are, uh, you know, we can take take a step back and be fun and have silly and uh, do long episodes on the Muppets. So that's always beautiful. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless or- us, everyone. <laughs>